Wagwan, everybody. Welcome to the This Afemi History Podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past, what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. So thank you so much, uh, Professor Small, for coming on to the podcast. And before we start, I'll get you to introduce yourself so everyone can uh, know who you are. Well, thank you very much for this invitation. I'm so interested in... uh... African retention. So I I really was very happy to be invited to do this. And I did this work on funeral rights many, many years ago. And I have that paper on Academia EDU where I think you may have seen it. So um, I'm glad to be able to do this again. I'm originally from Guyana in South America. I'm a Guyanese. (laughs) And I came to Jamaica in 1954, a long time ago to study at the university and I studied foreign languages and my first love of the languages is French but I did French, Spanish and Latin at the university and because I come out of this whole slavery experience uh, I, I claim that I was born in a space between Africans and Indians because after the emancipation of the African slaves England brought Indians from India to replace the African labor. Yes. And my grandfather in the 1850s was one of those laborers. I think he came as a baby on his mother's back because, as you know, there are mainly women who wanted to leave India. So they took the opportunity. But when I look back and I try to calculate his age and times and so on, he must have come as a baby because he got a name Thomas. Robert Dudley Thomas, and that's the name of a a British explorer. So whoever was in charge of that plantation where his mother was working knew of that explorer and gave this baby his name. So I do believe he was baptized on a plantation, and that's how he got that name. So my family name was Thomas, and I agonized over that for years and years and years, wondering how come I have... Indian ancestry, because he, of course, is the patriarch of our family, being the father of my father. And so I always agonized over the fact that I had a, this English name and my grand, my, father, my grandfather was Indian. So I came and um, because of that, being born between two races, after I graduated from university, I applied for a job in Africa. I wanted to know the African side of me. I applied for a job as a teacher. I am teaching a French is my main field. And I got a job in Uliwa, in Ijebode, in Nigeria. And I went there first and I taught for two days. So that was my African experience. From 1958 to 1960, I was in Nigeria. And after that, I went to Australia because the man that I was in love with at university was in Australia doing his doctorate. 
And so I decided, let me go and see what he's up to. And I applied. I My next journey was to Australia. And so I taught in Australia, which was one of my great experiences because those children never saw a Black person close up, never touched a Black person. Um, and they thought we were just wild savages. And when they saw that I could eat what they ate and I could play with them and enjoy, you know, it changed their lives completely. So I think that was an important thing that I did. And then I came back to Jamaica in 1963. And I worked in different places in Guyana. I went back to Guyana to work. I went to, I taught in Guadeloupe. I taught in Martinique, being interested in French. And I worked at the University of the West Indies. And then I went back to Guyana, to the University of Guyana, and I did a short stint there before I moved on. So I'm back here. I got married. I got divorced, as, as often happens. I had a son who was here, and I didn't want to leave him at the time when I was breaking up with my marriage. And so he's here, and I'm here. And it so happens that we are a bit together right now. So he's with me, looking after me. Yes. Paper is a course on the topic of death, which is not necessarily the most popular um, topic to discuss, even seen as a taboo. What was your why as to why you delved into this topic? Well, I've always known from before I left Guyana, I had seen preparations for death. And I thought about it, even within my family, I, I remember seeing my grandfather coming down the stairs one day, my grandfather from India, and I said, what are you doing coming down the stairs? So that gave me um, the first introduction to the return to life, to this life of the dead returning. And I looked into that to try to understand that. And I understand that in the structure, the general structure of Africanisms and the African culture, there is a community of people. Community is very, very basic to the whole family, the African cultural structure. And there is a community of not only the people who are living, but a community between the living and the dead. Yes. As, as anthropologists say, there are two basic symbolic structures. If you look at Professor Kamau Brathwaite's work, you will see that he uses symbols, cultural symbols, for us to understand how we live with each other in the space in which we are. And the Caribbean was an artificially created space for us, for our ancestors who were brought here as slaves. And they came with their culture inside of them, but they were confronted with the, how shall I say, the brutal, mm -hmm. oppressive culture of the Western world. So you will see in the Caribbean, we have these two cultures side by side and sometimes incorporated in one because you find that because the European and the, the culture of the colonizer was considered as being better and superior. And they made it so to us because they did not recognize the language and the culture of the African people. So you find that people want to move towards that, that other thing, that Western culture. 
So we have that problem of movement side by side and movement from one into the other. And sometimes they're both in one. There is a crossover. This way you would find the two cultures in one space, in one person doing this thing. So that's a big dilemma, dilemma for us in the Caribbean. And it all comes out of that experience of slavery and colonization. So it's circular. We have this life here, we die. Then we go to another life after death. And we come back. People come back. That's what, that is the circularity. It's cyclical, our culture. We die, we go, and we come back. They say that Toussaint Louverture was an, a leader before in that other life, and he brought that back with him into this life. So we prepare ourselves for coming back in some cases. Because we believe in that circle. We do not die and just go. We go and we come back. And we live in the community with the living. And people, some people can see and know that there are, can see them. Some people can see the dead amongst us. My father often told us of a sister he had, whom I never met, of course. Uh, and she would often say, oh, so-and-so is sitting in a corner over there. Or they can smell somebody sitting over there. So she was able to see the presence of the dead amongst the living. So that's one of the things I learned very, very early that got me interested in studying. And that is out of my family. I said, not in a book, but afterwards I went to reading and so on, to learn more about it, to understand that. Mm -hmm. And so, I guess that early exposure is what, um, you know, really moved you to to really- Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. To delve into things. So, and as well, you discussed, and I know you mentioned it just, uh, just a while ago, is that this whole culture, it has two themes of death in terms of one being linear and one being cyclical. And you mentioned, of course, the Western and, of course, um, our own traditions. Can you kind of delve into this a little bit further in terms of what is actual linear and, and cyclical? Well, linear is um, a straight line from the past to the present to the future. You're moving along that line. And it's very evident in our in the environment. It's a, it comes from the Christian system also. You're going up, 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 straight up to heaven. That's one line. Or you're going straight down to hell. Those are the two straight lines in the Western culture. And unfortunately, we have, even within our space in the Caribbean, we have absorbed that because of this strong influence of the Christian religion from the time of the slaves. It was imposed on them. They say the colonizers came with the Bible in one hand and they grabbed the land and the people with the other hand. They grabbed with the other hand, they brought the Bible and they made everything that they 
Africans live that believe them irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And uh, inhuman, inhumane even. You know, yeah. we weren't considered human beings like human people. So everything that we did was inhumane. So that is the linear, that is the description of the linear culture. And it's seen in the landscape, the high rise buildings go straight up. The steeples from the uh, churches pointing upwards. So that, that line is even in the architecture of the, in, of the buildings, even today. Skyscrapers going up, up, step, step, uh, going up is an indication of that linear line moving upwards. Glory is up there, it's high, the highest. Whereas in our African based African, amongst the African descendants, the circle is repeated, is repeated in the shape of the hunts, uh, uh, the huts, the huts were circular in shape. And of course, the main instrument, musical instrument of Afro descendants is the drum, is that circular head of the drum. So we see that circle repeated even in our environment, that circle, the cyclical form of our culture. Mm -hmm. So that's where it comes from. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And you know, you, you had mentioned about the discussion that life exists in the present, however, it, it still exists in after death, which is interesting. Like, would you be able to kind of discuss a little bit more onto that as to why you've indicated that? Death is not an unhappy incident. It's a happy incident. Why? Because we are moving towards our ancestors. You're either going to meet the ancestors or you're going to become an ancestor. So it's a happy journey. The sad journey is when you're born, they say. When you come in, you're coming into this wicked world. That slap on the baby, when the baby, the first cry the baby makes, you see, is the cry against this, this world that is entering. But going out, you're going into a state of happiness. It's very you know, you're going to meet family, you're going to meet your ancestors where you belong. So, and this is why death is, is celebrated. The dance, the dance is very important in that ritual, part of the ritual of the dead. And I have, I have seen many videos of very distinguished Africans where there's a lot of glorification and singing and dancing and eating and drinking. And we have inherited a little bit of that because we have a repast after a funeral. I don't know if people realize that when we have that repast where people meet and eat and drink, not so much dancing in the Caribbean, but we eat definitely we eat, meet to eat and drink. And it's very um, happy, happy circumstances. And it's part of that tradition that we have got from our ancestors, where it is a happy, a happy movement. It's a fortunate journey out into the other world. And we're going to meet our ancestors and other family members. So we celebrate death in that way. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when a person passes, the importance of preparing the body, how important is this process and the connection to the African practice? Yes, it's very important. They prepare the body physically. Um, they have many, um, some of our, our, some of these traditions we've got from Ghana in particular, mm -hmm. where I read in Ghana, in amongst the Gath people, the men would rub the body down with lime, and it's the men who prepare the body and the women who dry them and prepare them for the final going. Um, in Jamaica, they use lavender water to bathe the body. In Guyana, they use rose water to wash the, the corpse before it is buried. And this is why they say you can smell the presence of a corpse in a in life today. Some people can smell the rose water or the lavender water and know that a dead person, a spirit is sitting over there in that corner because they can smell. And it's because of the last cleansing, the washing of the body, the corpse, before they are buried. No, so, and then color of traditional dress. How important is that for the body, you know, to dress the body as well as for the mourners that are there? You know, why are these, you know, colors important? In traditional Africa, in traditional ritual, people, the mourners will wear the colors, the favorite colors of the dead. I don't think they do that so much now, but long ago, because they have these beautiful African cloths, and they will, everybody would be warned, will be dressed in that particular cloth with those particular designs, because they know that was what the, the person, the, the dead likes. I was in Ghana in, what it was, 2002, I visited Ghana, and I, made sure to go to a funeral because I, I was since then I've been interested in funeral rites. And I was told there that you can tell a family member of the corpse by the colors black and red they're wearing, but they wear it in a, a different sequence from everybody else. So I can't remember now I lent this those pictures that I had to research and I never got them back. I lost those pictures of the dress. But one would have black at the top and red at the bottom or red at the top and red at the bottom. And according to the position of the red and the black, you will know if the person is a family member or a guest. Okay. And it might be people from another um, ethnic group, but not a family member. The family members will have the position of the red and the black in a particular order. I was told that I had to go to the marketplace and get a dress for a visitor, a foreigner. I was a foreigner. I was an outsider. And I going into the funeral, they told me to go and get the kind of dress that I would be able to enter with into their funeral. And I went, I still have that dress. And when I wear that dress, everybody says, what a lovely dress, but they don't know that it's a funeral dress. But it, it's not, it's not, it's a dark green and dark, dark green with black designs on it. Um, and they, I was told in the marketplace, 
that is what I should buy to wear. So I still have that dress. Perhaps I should have put it on today so that you could see it. So that now was just to identify as a guest to the family. As a guest. Uh, and outside of the ethnic group. Outside of the ethnic group as well. Oh, wow. Because I was in Ghana. So I was outside of the ethnic group. And they told me that I had to get a, I had to get the right kind of dress. And I went to the marketplace and I bought what they told me that I, I should wear. That's that's quite interesting. And then, you know, is there a... But red is very important, um, especially amongst the Ashanti. Mm -hmm. They wear red as a sign of the blood that has flowed. Blood has flowed. So death, it, it tells you, it tells you something about going mm -hmm. or about to go, or they even say, Brother, if if a man wears a red shirt amongst the Ashanti, they say, Brother, what is the matter? What is the problem? Because red signifies that. Right? That something is wrong. It's the end of something. Something is a big problem. And so if a man wears a red shirt, they may even ask, What's the problem? But they would wear a red cloth, a red ring. A red bracelet in Guyana, they are red, red around the wrist or around the ankle to show that blood has flowed, somebody has died. So at death, they would use a little symbol like that of red. Okay. Red is a very powerful color in African culture. As you know, when a woman's husband dies, they believe that a man who loves his wife will come back after death to have sex with his wife. But there is a belief amongst us in the African culture that if you have sex with a duppy, with a spirit, mm -hmm. you will become, uh, you'll be sterile. You won't be able to have children. You know, the African woman is the bearer of children. So the women will wear red underwear to prevent the spirit from having sex with her so that she remains fertile. If she has sex with a spirit, she will become sterile. And African women are not sterile. They, they're the makers of children. And I found in Jamaica, way out in Trelawney, Talking, I talk to people everywhere mm -hmm. at that level. I talk to taxi drivers. Those other people can give me a lot of information and and help us. And I learned that here in Jamaica, we have the retention of that belief that if you have sex with a duppy, as we call it, duppy, the spirit, you will become sterile. That women will even put a string around their waist, waist with two nutmegs hanging from the, the two sides of the string, two nutmegs hanging from the string around their waist, so that if the spirit comes, the duppy comes to have sex with them, he will think that there is another man there because this would look like testicles of a man. So they use that. That is how far the belief that retention exists in in well in Jamaica. I, I've never heard of that 
exact thing being done in Guyana or anywhere else. But I found that very interesting that they would do go that far to simulate testicles so that if a duppy comes, if the spirit comes back, he will think it's another man who is there and he will go away. Right? Red is a, is a color that repels, both attracts and repels. Mm -hmm. As you know, in bullfighting, the bullfighter has a red cape that he puts in front of the bull to attract the bull to come to him to fight. As it is attracting in that way. In the African culture, it's used to repel in that sense. And then what would the difference be for when someone dies as a child, a natural death, and an unnatural death? Oh, they say that if, well, colors are very important for the natural death. If you're an old person, normally they dress the corpse in white. Um, children, if, if you if you died an unnatural death, mm -hmm. they say that somebody was working evil against you. That's why it happened. And that person may want to come back. So they do everything to prevent that evil spirit from coming back because we'll come back to harm you. Okay? Mm -hmm. So there is a reason why you get a, into an accident, for example. You're knocked down by a car or something like that, or somebody attacks you. They say it's somebody doing, it's an evil against you. The other thing is that children are not really ritualized. They don't have rights for burial rituals for children because they have not lived a full life. They haven't, you know, bloomed completely. And so there are no colors used for a child or any particular ritual for a child. But I have been to a funeral here of a Don. A Don is a leader in a um, a community. And I, at that funeral, a small child was was lifted and passed over the corpse. And that is a way of protecting the child in the future from any harm. That is, the spirit of the dead will protect that child. And I actually saw that being done. They lift the baby, a very small child, and pass the child over the corpse of the dead wow. to, to future protection for that child. So it's again another belief that we live after dying. It means that that person who is dead can protect that child because he's in the community. He never leaves the community. He, he comes back to the community of the living and he can protect us who are alive. Okay? So there's a constant communication between the living and the dead. Thank you. And so what are some of the welcoming of the dead in respect to libation? And what would there be a difference or a similarity in the Caribbean island? The libation? Mm -hmm. Yes. No. They welcome 
to welcome the dead. This this sprinkle alcohol room at the entrance to the home, to the building where they're bringing the corpse in, right? The entrance is very, very important. And that's where the, the, the funeral I went to, they, had, they use schnapps and they sprinkle schnapps at the entrance to bless that entrance. The entrance to the building, the home is very, very important, very sacred. Ancestors are sitting there to protect us all the time at the threshold of the home. When a married couple comes in, they can come over and they, again, the threshold is very important. In Jamaica, they use white rum to sprinkle on the ground in front. In Guyana, they use brown rum to sprinkle on the ground. Um, as I said, in, in, in Africa, when I was there in Ghana, they use schnapps, which is also an alcoholic drink to sprinkle on the ground to protect that. But we also have a belief in Jamaica that you do not sweep your house and sweep the dust through the front door at any, especially at night. Do not sweep the dust of the door because the ancestors are sitting there. They are always there to protect you at the threshold of your house. And when you sweep, you're sweeping the dust right into their faces. And that's sacrilege. So one of the things we believe in here, you do not sweep dust through the front door. The threshold is a very sacred place, part of the house in Jamaica. And that's a retention. Um, that's an African retention. That is that you are always protected by the ancestors. They are sitting there watching over you. You know, what is the importance, I guess, of having items placed in a coffin of the person that has passed and what would that mean and what does it represent for the okay. person? Okay, yeah. Again, there there is a lot of symbolism. It's not just putting the person in the coffin. Yeah. Of course, it's going back to the earth where you came from. That's how you're going to put the body down in the earth. But um, they say that in the home or wherever it is that you have that body before you, before the body leaves. They say that the body must be sitting on a seat with the head turned to the west and the legs turned to the east. And that is because, and this is a little bit of the influence of Christianity, I think. I mean, it says so in the research that I've done, like the influence, but they say that the legs must be turned to the east because we know that dead is going to rise and come back to life. He's going to get up. He needs to be able to get up. So his legs must be turned so that he could stand and get up and walk out and come back. I also read in the Smithsonian, I was doing some research on death as usual, and I found that many of the houses in Africa are structured in such a way that there is a clear pathway through the house from one end to the other. 
because spirits walk in and walk out. Walk in, they can enter. That's how they can enter in your home. The houses are built in such a way that there is a passage of air, air. It may not be a physical passage, but it's structured in such a way that there is a passage of air through the house because the spirits coming in will find its way in. So it goes as far as that, the importance of coming back, the dead coming back into the community of the living. The houses are prepared in that way, structurally, so that they can enter easily. Perfect. And the last, uh, the last journey of the deceased, what is this send off and the meaning in the process? The last send off, the last send off is, is a celebration of their going to the ancestors. That's what it means. That's why they're so happy and dancing. And, you know, I did a funeral. I had to do a funeral once a friend asked me to do a ritual for her father who had died. He was an Africanist researcher and she wanted something really African. And I found a story that was a Nigerian-based story. We spoke about that, about getting up and going on the way up to the ancestors. So that's what it means that when they're lying there, they're on their way. They're, they're beginning a journey up to the ancestors. And because you're going to be protected by your ancestors and you, or you're going to become an ancestor yourself, it's a very, very joyous and celebratory moment in the life of an African. We may not, we may have lost that through um, colonization. The one thing that we do have in our funeral at this moment is the, the people wearing black. Yeah. Black is a color that absorbs energy. And when you wear black at a funeral, you're absorbing the energy of everyone around. And you're supporting the person who is dead. There's a sorrow. And you absorb all the sorrowing energy of everyone around. And that is the whole purpose of wearing black. So we still do that. Now they have more, more when you have other colors. That, but that's going now because people are changing their attitude to death. They want to be happy. Yeah. Maybe not for the same reason the Africans are happy. But they just want to be, they want to remember the life of the person. The happy life of the person. You know, if you know the person was a joyous person, person like to dance, a partying person, a gay person, and so on and so on. You want to be joyful. You don't want to be sad at the person's view. So now you see people wearing different colors at a funeral. Although black is still considered the funeral color because it absorbs the energy and it gives you so much strength to support the person who is dead, you know, the suffering of the person breathing. And that's the point of the, the color black there. Perfect. And then 
Now in Jamaica, we, you know, they practice nine, nine, right? So yeah. what is, and I think, you know, people just do things because that's what's been done from one generation to the next, mm -hmm. but not knowing what the whole process is. Could you speak to what yeah, that the nine, process is? The nine, nine, the nine, it's the ninth day after the person has died, has expired. The ninth day. So during those nine days, they are preparing for the final departure. I have been to a nine night and they sing, and they're very happy and joy. It's joyful. Mm -hmm. You do not do anything. You do not say anything negative of the person who is dead. If you want to tell stories, you tell stories about how you knew them. The things that they did, you remember funny stories, complimentary stories about the person who is dead. It's all very joyful and complimentary. You never say anything negative about the dead. I have been to one of those and it's music and singing and eating and drinking and chatting and, and all the chat is joyful. They also tell stories mm -hmm. because stories make you laugh and stories are, and Nancy stories they tell at these, night night meetings so the point is to be joyful nothing is sad at that moment because the person is about to transpire and to travel to travel across and of course in traveling there is a symbol of the river mm -hmm. in africa the river divides separates communities so the river is also a symbol of crossing over from this life to that other life, right? And so on the ninth night, we know that it's the beginning of their journey across the river, if you like, across that gap to the other, other world. And they dance the dinky mini. The dinky mini in Jamaica is the dance that we see, and, they, and it's a broken leg dance. The dance with one leg is broken. Okay. Right? And that represents legwa. Legwa is the intermediary between life and death. He is going to take the lead, the dead, across the gap to Olunumare, who is the Almighty. So he's an intermediary between heaven, the God, Oluzumare, and humanity. He is the intermediary and he takes people across safely to the other life. So they dance and in Jamaica they do the dinkimini and that dance is representative of Legba, whom they say had a broken leg, one leg is broken. So that dance is a funny dance with one leg, you know, is bent. Um, and representing Legwa. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, as we end, would you have any final thoughts to provide our listeners when it comes to this type of a topic? I just think that many people are not very conscious of, of that other life, and of preparation for that other life. I think I think, I mean, in a sense of African traditions, they do these things, but I don't think they understand the significance 
uh, and that they're doing something that is basically African. I don't think so. I did a talk once and everybody was so skeptical, so ignorant of all of this that I asked actually once to do a public presentation of this so that more people can know that we have it all around us, things that we are doing that, that are African. And I can go into the language, the whole thing of storytelling, going back to Aesop, uh, why we don't talk straight. We have to, you have to get the meaning underneath yeah. of what we say. And it's seen in Proverbs. Proverbs is our style of communication. And it all comes from the fact that we had to work against the colonizer. We had to find ways to do things, our own ways of doing things that they didn't understand. The whole, the whole business of um, the talk drummer communicating with the drum language is because the colonizers couldn't understand what they were saying to each other with the drum. And I think our people are very, very creative in that sense that we had to find ways to communicate because we were denied our language, our denied our sense of community, of being together. As a matter of fact, recently I got an article that said even these hairstyles where, you know, mm -hmm. um, the, the plaiting of the hair with parts, it was messages about where they were going when they were escaping. They could even design the route by the design on their head. So I think our people were so, so very creative. We had, under pressure, we had to find ways of surviving. And that's what Anansi is. Anansi is not there to amuse. Anansi was a character that found ways of surviving. That's who we are. We are Anansis. We are representative of Anansi, the weakest animal in the forest. But he had, and he had to find a way to overcome lion, who had come to take over everything that they had. So I think if people can put all of those things that we have around us that we do, and put it in the context of our history and our African culture, it will make much more sense to what we do every moment in our lives. No, I, I, I thank you for having me because I'm very interested in this subject myself. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I, I, as I said, I couldn't agree more that we need to kind of tap into our history and to recognize it and to know the power that it brings. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you.